0: How good is Weird Tea? My Weird Tea is actually gone. Do you know why, Kevin? Because it's so good. Because our PAs have not brought us a new Weird Tea. I know, what's up with that, you guys? Bring us some
1: tea. We need Weird Tea. An amazing company, some friends of mine that started a long time ago. They're all about donating to charity. So if you buy online and you put the code Kevin, they'll donate to the the United Foundation.
0: Don't put Tony in the box, put Kevin. Because they won't do shit if you put Tony in the box. Put Tony in the box, but don't tape it closed.
1: <laughs> Drink weird. So one time I got this bright idea that was like, oh, we'll pick you up in Las Vegas, and we will bring you to San Diego with 91X radio. And it was like, you fly in, you ride on the tour bus, we'll bring you down. And, and we had this day off scheduled at the Colorado River at my old partner John Reese's house. Right. So the concept was all the bands were going to come down to the river and we're going to have a great time. So the radio winner shows up in Vegas and I'm like, all right, man, I guess I got to take you out. It was 4th of July. So we actually went out that night. I took him to this party and with Juliet Lewis, actually, okay. <laughs> and it was like this total like party at a club and I almost got thrown out. But we brought the radio winner and we're having a great time and we're having a good time and we all take the bus down. To the river. So we had boats waiting, we had jet skis waiting, we had inner tubes. Was this at night or during the day? During the day, the next day. Okay. So July, f- uh, f- July 5th, we're going to be at the river. So we all get on these boats and we go up the canyon. If you're ever at Lake Cavasu, you yeah, go up the yeah, canyon to the sandbar. Right. And we're all parked up and everyone's having a great time. John Reese is racing his boat around, everyone's having a super fun time. Right. And uh, we had an inner tube. It's
0: time to, to haul the radio winner on the inner tube.
1: radio winner goes out on the inner tube on this high-speed jet ski, way beyond, like, souped up. All the governors are taking off. It's going, like, 100, <laughs> 100 miles an hour down the river. And we're watching this kid, and he was a little overweight. He was a little chubby, little yeah. big. And he's in this inner tube, and we watch. All of a sudden, we're like, yeah, you're having a great time. Next thing we know, we see the radio winner, like, flying through the air. Yeah. <laughs> like, woo! Like, they hit a bump, and he's, like, just sailing through the air. And I'm like, awesome, the radio winner just got thrown off the jet ski. And then about like 30 seconds later, we're like, wait, something's going on out there
0: or nothing is going on out there. He's yeah. not coming back uh, up. So he's not
1: coming back up. So John jumps on his jet ski, I jump on the back and we race out and like the radio winner had all the wind knocked out of him and he's floating face down oh in the shit. He's floating face down in the Flipping river. Over. He's like so we bring him over and we couldn't because the girls that were tolling him around couldn't get him back up on the jet ski yeah, like he's a just fat like, ass. He's a big dude. So we're like <laughs> we're like so we get him back up. We're like totally like Dude, you're all right. You're all right. he starts breathing. And he looks up, and right when he comes to, he goes, that's the most awesome thing that's ever happened in my life. Oh, Jesus. So we brought him back to the beach. We set him down. We got him another beer. Like, he'd already had a few beers. And it was like the day we almost killed the radio winner.
0: Yeah. So the moral of this story is if you ever win a Kevin Lyman radio contest, (laughs) make sure you read the Clause of Limitations of Liability.
1: (laughs) One of the people I hold most in regard of this business is a guy named Peter Tempkins. And I'm I'm flying to Nashville to go see him at his retirement party. And you don't know Peter, but can you imagine the person that, that did my insurance all these years? Oh God.
0: No, I cannot. And I'm I imagined your premiums were out of the fucking moon. Nuts. But that's Peter
1: Tempkins. Peter Tempkins was the person where I could go, Hey Peter, I met these guys out in the desert who jumped motorcycles. And they do backflips on motorcycles. Let's bring him on the tour. I want to bring him on tour. And, <laughs> and Peter would figure stuff out. Or, hey, Peter, I want to bring a human cannonball out. And he'd be all like, okay, is it safe? I go, yeah, he's done it a few times. No problem. Even though we almost killed him the first time we shot him. But Peter is an amazing person. I don't think he gets enough respect in the business. And I just want to thank during this episode Peter Tempkins. Because Peter became like the biggest festival insurer Really? Yeah, Warp Tour was like his second thing he did, but it was like the door opened when Peter Tempkins started doing Warp Tour. All the festivals started calling him. That's one person I want to go and honestly thank for everything he allowed us to do through all these years. Right on. But, you know, where we go net with this episode is going to be very interesting because it's something else that wasn't really accepted in the world. Tattoos. You
0: know what? I kind of think you had a very small part in the change of culture. I don't know if this is true, maybe it's a stretch, but I'll tell you what, my generation was not all hopped up on tattoos. It wasn't a thing from when I was in my 20s growing up. And now you look around, you think I think everybody has a fucking tattoo now.
1: Tattoos have been always very interested to me because it's a commitment. Wide well, work, and there was this guy named Iggy. Like, Iggy, if you're out there, man, I, I always wonder whatever happened to you. But <laughs> Iggy was the kind of guy that would like... He didn't like Coke, so he got a Pepsi tattoo. Like, that was a statement for him. <laughs> and then one time, a guy named Bob Giappardi got the con- concrete foundations for him tattoo, like on him because he worked that conference. I mean, hope he's not like working at Target now and has like Target <laughs> logos on him or anything. I respect
0: the tattoo culture, absolutely. The artwork and everything is incredible. The artwork that you know, Clay, Clay Plowman, right? He has a bunch of tattoos. there. They're very tasteful, and they're on the. But he goes to the Shamrock in Hollywood. Yeah. Mark Mahoney does his, and he's like this celebrity tattoo guy. But when you look at Clay's tattoos, you're like, "Oh my god, that's like that should be in a museum. It's gorgeous." But it's funny because I always say like, when you
1: tattoo the name of a band on you, like Black Flag, Bars, whatever big one, or Circle Jerks, or Dead Kennedy. You know, and then it was weird for me because I, at the last few years of warp tour, I'd see people come up and show me like the arrow tattooed right, on them. Right. Yeah. And though I appreciate it, I hope when they're like twenty, thirty years down the road that they can appreciate it as much.
0: Oh, I think they're going to appreciate it more. You've created a, a cultural phenomenon that's going to be a part of their lives forever. So when they're sixty-five, looking down at that arrow, they're going to have fond memories. I would. This episode, though, I tracked down a few people that I thought were important.
1: There's so many people that were important to the tattoo culture at Warped Tour. We're going down the road, and there was all these people would go pay the tattoo guy after shows, and that was part of our you know, punk rock culture, and, you know, it was like getting tattoos, and, you know, it was bikers and punk rockers, and everyone was getting culture. But this episode's going to explore a little bit of some people who try to take it to more than the, the edgiest person on the block, tattoos. What do you mean? Like tattoos were scary at first. Like tattoo culture was like, wow, you got a tattoo, you must be like dangerous. hundred percent.
0: I'm telling you, my generation, that X generation. I mean, I'm sure there's a bunch of subsets of them that, but but not as many people of my generation got tattoos as this generation. But they're cool. I love them. I I mean, I think it's fantastic. I gotta ask you. What's that? Did you get Hamilton tattooed? On or <laughs> I did go see <laughs> on yeah, I maybe Rent on Friday. Maybe. Front row tickets at Rent at Tony, the Doolittle.
1: Tony's going to start a new trend in tattoos. Instead of band names, you're going to have like... Broadway names. Well,
0: yeah, and there's a whole Broadway culture of people names. doing that, too. Oh, Don't get it wrong. I would be, <laughs> <it'd> be awesome. Xavier, <laughs> I sat in the front row, right where Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. <laughs> I did. That's the only reason why I bought those tickets, so I could sit right where Will Smith was.
1: Tony, hit your favorite uh, Rent song. And picture
0: you're flashing your tattoo on your chest while you're singing it. Oh, no, I I can't. You guys can't afford me. I am equity, of course, and this is media, and I need equity wages if I actually start singing. Oh, yeah. But don't think I can't do it, bitches. I'm fabulous. Oh, come on. Back to serious stuff. Back to serious stuff. Back to serious stuff called
1: tattoos. So I tracked down someone named Oliver Peck, and then I tracked down Nathaniel Madden, and he'll be talking about how he advocated for tattoos in the workplace, how... They started their organization that did that. And then it was amazing because I was asked to write a little excerpt or, you know, once people send me books all the time and say, hey, can you write a little bit about my book? or some. And uh, Scott Edelman, who did this book, he did a tour called Tattoo the Earth, and he is a sweet man. But, man, talk about dealing with all the wrong people to ever start a festival with. I mean, he just checked every box to all the people who tortured me whenever I dealt with them. <laughs> he decided to get them all in one room and say, let's do a festival together. Like the most, I, I'm going to say it, the most greedy
0: Self-centered people in the music oh, business. Oh, come on. Take it. He didn't mean any of that, folks. No, I
1: totally meant it. Because <laughs>
0: didn't mean you that. You know what?
1: The guy started out with all the greatest intentions in the music business. What was the name of the festival? Tattoo oh. the Earth. We're going to start this episode talking to my friend Oliver Pack. People that don't know him don't realize how much influence he's had on the tattoo culture of America.
0: Kevin, how did this guy get started on the Warp Tour? Let's find out. The beginning was, the,
2: uh, was 2005 and Matchbook Romance they had me come out onto their bus and tattoo them. And I stayed on the tour tattooing in the back lounge of their bus for about probably about two weeks. When the two weeks was over, they were getting off the tour. They only did half the tour or whatever it was. And I was gonna go home, but there was a bunch of more people that wanted tattoos. So Mike Carrera and the MXPX guys were like, hey, come ride with us on our bus and tattoo us and I ended up staying on the rest of the tour. It
1: was a balance
2: for me because it was
1: like I know people were tattooing but technically Peter who we talked about earlier about doing his retirement party was not that into people tattooing
0: on tour. So it was kind of like this balance because So where were they doing it? Like on the on the the vans and the buses and or were they were they actually opening up shop on the tour? Yeah, they would sit there and open up and word... It was word of mouth, like that hidden word of mouth that they were. I
1: wasn't allowed to hear. Oh, like it was like you, the language think, I wasn't allowed to hear. Do you
0: think you would have shut it down if you had found out?
1: You know, like I always say, sometimes it's better to be ignorant than like smart <laughs> or something. I don't know. So he was out there kind of on the uh, DL, let's say. And I asked him how he kept it going out on the road.
2: Oh five, I did the tour, but in, in tour buses. It was a popular thing, and... A lot of people wanted me to be out on the tour and I'd met Kurt Soto and I'd met Steve on the tour and I'd met uh, all, those, all the skaters that were on the tour. And so they were like, man, you got to come back next year. You got to come back next year. And so I just got this fifth wheel trailer and made a tattoo shop in the back of it. You know, Kurt Soto was like, you know, we'll just come and be on the tour. And from then the next like year, 2007, eight, nine, 10, It was just kind of expected that I was going to be there. We kind of just snuck our way in,
0: you know? And this is a reoccurring thing with a lot of people just just snuck their way way in. in. Here's the interesting thing about that. 2005, 2006, this is when that tattoo culture started, you know, churning at the very early days. So... It makes sense to me that you had an anti-tattoo policy on because it, it wasn't a popular thing as it is now. It was popular, but there's some things about hygiene that we're going
1: to get into a little bit later. We're going to talk a little bit, a little bit later. I also want to touch on a little thing right now because Oliver also turned me on to something else that you'll appreciate.
2: My buddy Ryan Dunn, man, he used to come out on the Warped Tour, too, and we we uh, we brought the cornhole boards and started having cornhole tournaments and— uh, I think the cornhole tournaments ended up being something that a lot of people look forward to every year. And then you ended up by by 2008 and 2009, or yeah, 2008 for sure, you had a lot of bands that were bringing their own cornhole <laughs> equipment with them. Kind of story the year had cornhole boards. Every time I die I had cornhole boards. The Bronx had cornhole boards. One of my favorite uh, Kevin Lyman Warp Tour stories is we, at the end of the night, one night, really, really late. Me and Andy Williams were playing cornhole, and you came up, and we had a money game, and uh, it got a little out of hand.
0: Wow,
1: what happened? Lost a few hundred bucks. (laughs) You lost I lost money that night. I actually have lost money playing cornhole. not to me. Never to you. (laughs) (laughs) Not to fucking me. But you did bring up a thing, Tony, about why I was so worried about people getting tattoos on the road. And the next little clip kind of
2: sums it up. There was an incident. There was an incident with a guy that got a really bad infection. He was in the hospital, and it was there was some question whether there was some liability on the tattooing of it. But it, I mean, it turns out he had received a staph infection, and the whole, a bunch of people on the bus had got a staph infection, which wasn't uncommon. He let it go untreated for so long that it got into his bloodstream, and it was a big ordeal. And I had to, I was talking to the insurance guy, and. I was talking to you, and I was talking to Lisa, and it was uh, it was a scary couple of days there.
0: You know a little bit about that too, don't oh, you? Oh yeah, but it was totally
1: crazy. So that was one of the things. Like we're not in the cleanest environment. No, you know, I've seen road.
0: people on Warp Tour, and they're but, just dirty people. Is, they're lovely hard. people. You're all lovely so, people, the, but they were nasty. We are not going to name names right now, but, <laughs> but okay.
1: So this one gentleman on Warp Tour got a tattoo. And it got super infected. And he got put in the hospital. So he kind of went into this weird, like, semi-coma state. But then his girlfriend, or let's just say girlfriends, he had a girlfriend at home, and he had a couple girlfriends on the road. Okay, one or two. Okay. So they all went to the hospital to make sure he was okay. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And they ran into the guy. They all ran into each other at the hospital. Wait, wait who are you? Oh, yeah. I'm, no, yeah, who are you? I'm his, I'm his girlfriend. I'm thinking about him going, he was in a semi-coma state, but I'd pretend I was in a permanent coma state at that point. Oh, yeah. Because how are you going to come out and explain this?
0: I think he was probably hoping that the infection would kill him yeah, at that so, point. So the
1: infected tattoo was like probably the best thing going for him that week. Right. <laughs> he ended up recovering. He's doing fine in life. The girls are doing fine in life, <laughs> but I'm telling you, I'm just saying There, like, how can you pretend not to breathe? Like this listening to like <laughs> this going on in our hospital room, it'd be like the scariest thing in life. So I asked Oliver like where it went after warp Tours.
2: I was tattooing, tattooing bands from every state and you know, you tattoo a band and it was kind of before, you know, social media was really that big. There was MySpace, but you know, just getting known as, the tattooer that tattooed the bands and the fans of the bands. I've tattooed so many people over the years that come to get tattooed by me because their favorite band members have tattoos for me. Like, oh, you tattooed Mike Ness. You tattooed, you know, Matt Skiba. You tattooed, you know, Jeff Grosso. You tattooed all these people.
1: It was funny because he'd have this fifth wheel trailer and every every bus had a number and there'd be like this obscure fifth wheel trailer because we were trying to hide it from Peter for a while. But then Peter picked up on it and it was becoming like that was the tattoo studio because it was clean, he would do it sterile, he would keep it a nice situation. He really made a connection with Steve Van Doren. So then it all of a sudden it becomes a problem for me. Did he tattoo Steve Van Doren? No. <laughs> he probably did. I bet he tattooed Steve Van Doren on people because I've actually seen tattoos. Oh, of
0: a Vans and of I've no, seen Steve a... Van Doren on people. No. <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay, that's just a little over the line. That's where I love Steve. He's a nice guy, but come the fuck Yeah, on. I've seen a couple tattoos with Steve. Vandor in there, you know. <laughs> so all of a
1: sudden, you know, he made a great relationship with Vans.
2: Got in with Vans and did a bunch of did designs for Vans, did shoes for Vans, oh, cool. T-shirts for Vans, and got to the point where Vans was hiring me to tattoo at South by Southwest for their for their promotion. And then once tattoo TV came around, I was one of the most, you know, I had gotten such a well-known tattooer just from so much exposure, you know, for my willingness to not just sit home and I was on the road back then I was on the road 200 plus days a year. Wow. You know, and just getting You know, that's how you got to do it. Anything you're going to do to promote, you just got to get out and get out and get out. The more place you go, the more place you see, the more people you meet, the more people know who you are kind of whatever, you know, you can't just be a band or a brand and just sit at home and wait for everybody to come to you. You know, I'm, I've always been somewhat of a hustler to some extent, but, not a mainstream, not a mainstream hustler. I'm a side street hustler, I guess. I just talked to Andy Williams the other day, who's a pro wrestler now. If you you know that, guitar player from Every Time I Die. I still talk to him. I still talk to. I still talk to Soto. I still talk to Steve every once in a while. I've seen Steve at a few different events. He's been such a great guy in, in the scene and in the culture, and he's been such a good like, I don't know, like a like an out of place role model for this for that that culture you know we just the the unlikely role model i think is is steve van doran
1: he was famous for tattooing a certain thing and he holds a record for the most 13s tattooed at any given day so if you want a free tattoo on that day you can go by his shop or wherever he is and he will tattoo the 13 on you really what does that represent 13 uh better hope you hit an eight on blackjack
0: what? Yeah, that's what it all is about. No, I oh. thought it was bong. I thought it was shaped like a B for a bong. That's what it was on that's what I put on my peaches in the eighties. Or oh, wait. Xavier says it's Friday the thirteenth. Look, it means something to everybody. Isn't that the beautiful yeah, thing? Like, Isn't that I'm beautiful? I'm like, that's the hardest hit in blackjack. Like you got a thirteen, what are you gonna do? Hit. No, twelve. It's called midnight. The hardest hit in no. blackjack is midnight. Jesus Christ, it's an eight. It's like called 13. midnight, it's twelve. So I don't know why I'm you- going to Vegas next week. You know what I'll ask. <laughs> So I asked Oliver
1: about tattooing. Was there a lot of laws and rules about tattooing? Because I know it
2: affected a lot of things out there in the world. In the late 90s and early 2000s, a lot of states didn't have very many laws on tattooing. And then there's a few states that were very, very strict. One of the rules that was pretty prevalent was it was illegal to tattoo out of a a mobile building. And a lot of states had that law, so we were definitely we were definitely breaking
0: the on law on the fringe.
2: Breaking you know, the law, you we know. You know, even even in Texas, like if you have like a, a mobile home as your shop, you couldn't you couldn't tattoo out of it.
0: Interesting, but
2: my, a lot of states didn't have any regulations whatsoever. And then in a few states, like Oklahoma, it was totally illegal to tattoo in any sense up until. I don't know, like late and mid two thousands.
0: Oklahoma doesn't you a tattoo at all. <laughs> if Jesus saves. <laughs> that was the only one allowed. Praise be. You can get a tattoo, but it has to be of Jesus in Oklahoma. <laughs> I can tattoo of the, <laughs> tattoo of the Lord. Well, fuck that. It's punk rock. So it's a little you're breaking the law, but what are you gonna do? I'm telling you, I had so much fun
1: reconnecting with Oliver. We had like it was always this like weird relationship because he was worried that I might have to shut him down but I really respected him. Like he turned me on to Cornell and he was a good dude to have around. He was so connected with it. not something we booked, like not a band
0: or a brand. He was on the tour longer than a lot of bands. Yeah. You know, I asked him what, you know, he says about the Warp Tour.
2: People ask me about Warp Tour all the time. I've done some interviews about it. And a lot of people were intrigued by the idea of going to all these different places. Like, oh, you've been in New York, you've been to Kansas. You've been to California, you've been to Arizona, you've been to, you know, and all the And I'm like, hey, it's not about the city. Cause it's all, it's, every city's the same. Every city is a big parking lot full of tour buses. That's it. You don't know, half the days, you don't know if you're in Syracuse or Pittsburgh. What's the difference? We always referred to it as punk rock summer camp. We had the best time of our life and some things got crazy out of control. But for the most part, it was a family and everybody, just in, you know, the last day of Warp Tour was always sad to see your friends go, and you're always happy to see them first day, set up day the next year. And I think those, those seven years that I did the tour, man, I just, it just seems like one big long blur. And uh, <laughs> I, most of us, I, you know, a lot of those people I still think are my family, and uh, I got to see. My favorite bands play every night. I got to get tattoos from my favorite band. Cause I used to have everybody that was on the tour, I would have them tattoo on me. So I've got my whole arm is signatures from everybody from Matt Skiba to Haley, you name it. Everybody from every band that was on there. And uh, it was just, I don't know, that's it, man.
0: I think that's awesome that he had those people get a little tattoo from them. It's kind of like he has a little archive history of his time with the warp Tour. I ask him, how do you get a hold of Oliver Peck these days?
2: I'm at Elm Street Tattoo in Dallas, Texas. It's my home base. I travel around and tattoo all over, so you can keep an eye on me on Instagram, but I do all my booking through email, which is just oliverpecker at gmail.com. And if you want to get a 13, I'm at my home shop, Elm Street Tattoo, every Friday the 13th ever. So we got one next month, May 13th. It's Friday 13th, and we're,
0: uh, we're going to be doing hundreds of tattoos.
1: Well, this episode will be coming out right at the time. Go
0: by and get a 13. Yeah, does he do it for free? People yeah, free. About just that? show awesome. up and get a
1: 13. I think this is a good moment to <laughs> thank our sponsor, Weird Tea, who's been so good to us. So it was awesome to catch up with Oliver, Tony. But then I thought that if we're going to do an episode of tattoos, I think it's very important to contact an old friend, Nathaniel Madden and Nathaniel Madden is one of the a very interesting person. And I was able to catch up with him because he started an organization with some people and it was all based in, and it inspired me because he's the kind of person that just says let's do something and they did it. We need to expand on Nathaniel Madden's uh, whole life because it's pretty fucking badass. So we're going to make a whole episode about Nathaniel. I'm going to do another interview with him. We're going to talk a little bit about more his focus on the world of tattoos. But Nathaniel was a person who I think I told you about the time that I went in and snuck into Burma and we shot a documentary on, on uh, genocide.
0: Right. And, and you
1: almost got killed? No, we didn't almost get killed. We could have gotten killed, but we didn't. So Nathaniel, we'll talk a little bit about that later. But the way I met Nathaniel was he came out on Warp Tour and he was part of an organization called Stepa. And he's going to tell us a little bit about that.
3: There was a group of us that worked together. We were all professionals in different jobs, but there was a gal who had been fired uh, as a manager at a, a chain of stores um, because two employees had complained that she had tattoos, and um, she ended up losing her job uh, around Christmas time during the holidays. And so a group got together and just said, like, "Hey, let's uh, try to." Um, get her her job back and stop is what it's called which stands for support tattoos and piercings at work Uh, was never even supposed to be an organization um it was literally just going to be a f- uh, online flash mob we said you know don't don't be rude to the boss but we're going to release the boss's contact info and just tell the boss how much you appreciated her and how she was great and how you don't mind staff if they have tattoos and um they ended up getting so many messages. We had thousands and thousands of people message in. It ended up crashing their website. <laughs> yeah. um, we were always clear from the outset: don't, don't be aggressive or mean, um, because that doesn't win over hearts and minds. Don't be entitled; just be kind. Support them in giving their them the freedom and flexibility to hire people based on merit instead of what they look like.
1: Nathan's just such a mild mannered, nice person, and he's so easygoing. You know. But I asked him what impact did you actually have? Like we all understood. Trust me. I it was funny. I'd I'd have like government officials come down. And there was a moment when I was having times from like people from Washington, DC coming out to the warp tour. And these people would come and they have long sleeves like these guys that were and then when everything would settle in, they'd go, Totally love what you do, Kevin. And they'd roll up their sleeves and show me their oh, tattoos. Oh, that's cool. But in the job place, and for me, it was always like, people ask me, what, are, what do you think about tattoos? I go, I love tattoos. However, you have to be careful where you place tattoos. Why? Because if you put them on your face, or you put them on your neck, if you put them exposed, because I had to go, going all the way back to early Warp Tours, we would have organizations come out and try to promote brands on Warp Tour. And they would send people in golf shirts. And like I say, never trust a person in a golf shirt unless you're on a golf course, That's right? True. They really don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Like you go to a concert venue, you go anywhere and there's a person in a golf shirt, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. <laughs> but on a golf course, they're awesome. Like I look great on a golf course, but would never wear a golf I shirt off the golf of course. that
0: philosophy as a life lesson, but okay. It's a life lesson. So
1: you don't do this. So it was like, they would send send them out to promote brands on Warp Tour early right. brands like Sony PlayStation and things like that and i would sit with my brands and go nah no one's going to trust a person in the golf shirt trust us none of us do hire people from the lifestyle that leads lives our lifestyle and you will be viewed as more credible so they would start to look so we literally started getting a lot of people jobs and I would say, just don't tattoo your face. That's that becomes a little too much. That's like a commitment to a different. Yeah, but I,
0: isn't that a slippery slope though? And maybe we're asking controversial questions. Do you think that there? is any job out there that would preclude someone from having it because of a tattoo, oh. even a face tattoo. And do you agree with oh, that? Because ab- I, I don't. No, absolutely. You- like what? Absolutely. We like- still have prejudgment. And 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 Nathan talked about. me. I know, about but it. what are you saying? You can't be a cop because you got a tattoo?
1: You can't be a cop? Well, you, I don't think you want to get Satan's helpers or whatever the hell the sheriffs have in L.A. right now. I guess. That's a huge thing right now in L.A. because we've got the sheriffs. Who are getting these tattoos, and they're saying they're not part of a gang. You've heard about Bill and Nate Wade no, about that, right? No, I have heard about that. And they're saying that we have gangs within L.A. Sheriff's Department mm. wearing these tattoos.
0: Mm. So, uh, <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, so- but we don't think that's true, right, guys? <laughs> For all of those sheriffs that wow. listen to this podcast? Look, I'm not
1: judging all sheriffs. I never do. You know, so what ended up happening is, you know, we would go through this thing about, you know, tattoos in the workplace. So they actually made a lot of impact out there. Nathan told me about some of the impact they made.
3: Bank of America changed their policies, Olive Garden, you know, so all over the spectrum. One year we had a total of, I think it was something like 750,000 employees at businesses who had policies changed. Um, from our work. So it, it was really cool. Um, there's still a lot of stigma in some foreign countries, um, but we've seen a massive change in the US. I mean, this is night and day difference. Actually, Kevin, this is interesting. Just I think um I think a few months ago, four months ago, United Airlines. There were two airlines that um switched their policies now. Um, and that's such a big change because the last year of warp tour we were still dealing with people getting kicked off of planes who were customers because they had no. too many tattoos or no. the wrong tattoos. And so to have that swing where all of a sudden now they're letting stewardesses and pilots have, you know, visible tattoos. That was a big change. Oh,
0: that's crazy. It's true though. As a customer. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I was telling you, it's a generational shift in that, you know, there was in the, 90, the early 90s, the early nineties, the eighties and tattoos meant, you were a ruffian or someone that was anti culture. Now it's the mainstream. Well, that's what I was saying.
1: But there's still companies out there. And these people went out there and they just started an organic movement to educate people that just having a tattoo, don't judge them because of a tattoo. Right. And I think, you know, I think they've, they've done wonderful work. And Nathan is a very. They
0: should be so proud of the, oh. that, that big of a shift change of their work made those policies, that's a, amazing. And this all started from him being on the tour doing tattoos. Basically him, you know, promoting that tattoos are okay for
1: people to have in the workplace. That's awesome. You know, we were doing this tour, and we were trying to work throughout this thing, but there was a, a, a gentleman named Steve Alderman who was tra- was trying to create his own tour for his passion of tattoos at the same time. Tattoo the Earth Tour. With Scott, it was just, he reached out to me about, you know, writing a little part for a book he was writing on his called Caravan of Pain.
4: I came to tattooing late in life. Uh, I didn't get my first tattoo till I was 30. And they really held no uh, interest for me when I was growing up. I grew up on the Stones and the Who. And if they had tattoos, I absolutely would have been covered in them. (laughs) I did whatever they told me to do. They just didn't happen to have tattoos. So I grew up, you know, at a time where there was quite a bit of stigma attached to tattooing. And it really wasn't in my frame of reference. And I'm also not good with my own blood. Uh, and pain for the most part. And it just was never on the radar. And after my father died, I met some some people who kind of turned me on to tattooing. And um, it just talked to me one day. And I was like, you know what, I want to get this, you know, uh, this tribal symbol. Um, and I was sober and you know, it was well thought out. Uh, and then that started the whole thing. You know, everybody says they're only gonna get one.
1: But if you could have, you, you would have had that Rolling Stone lips on your arms. Similar to my world <laughs> was like the punk rock bars, the black flag bars or something. You would have had that if it was uh, available at the time. <laughs>
4: exactly. I have it now. I have, I have the Stones tongue and then the Who, you know, that circle logo. Right, right, right. I have those over here, which I got. The, the Who tattoo I just got a couple of years ago. The Who. Speaking of the Who.
0: Speaking of the Who. Oh my God, my new favorite band. <laughs> I won't start talking about it. Okay, so we're oh going to jump into the segment now. While it's here, I know. But Kevin, while we're here. what bands out there are you listening to right now? The ones that you won't shut up about. The Who. Who? The Who. That I said new bands. A brand new band. The Who. The Who. The Who is not a brand new band. They Kevin. are. This is an Abbott and Costello someone, sketch, I swear to God. Who's Google, on first? I don't know what's on I would on Google
1: second. The Who, H-U.
0: That's how you spell the who. Who
1: the hell is The Who, H-U? The Who are the best band that played Coachella. They're amazing.
0: What are they? The Who. The Who. I get it. Not I get the it. The Who. I get that. The, the Who. The Who. Is it pronounced Who? I don't even care, but, but it's this new band that you love.
1: They blew our face off. Me and Fran were at the front of the barricade, like rocking out, like the H U. Yeah, we totally blew all their credibility. Like two, like fifty something year olds, almost sixty 60- and sixty 60- oh, something, I just mean, rocking out to a band. Fran
0: came out here earlier and just was like mimicking being on the front row. I've never yeah. seen you act like this. You think you would be jaded after all these years, but you're generally excited oh, about yeah, this so band. E- so
1: excited about this band. Did you say they did something with Jacob? Kobe? Yeah, they did a song with Jacoby from Our Friends in Papa Roach. Wow! I mean, it's it's I can't believe it took this long. That's but that's scary to me. It got took a while. Usually, I was first on something, and now it's like, oh, they've got thirty three million plays. Wow, wow! So I'm not that on it. But if you guys ever want a greatest band in history, right now, the Who, the Who. But beyond that, we talked earlier about people who were starting a festival and how easy it was, or how great it is, and everything. And I asked him, like, what it was like for him to start a festival.
4: I had an inspiration to do an event, and I'd been in the music business when I was younger, uh, so it wasn't completely foreign to me, but I, I hadn't been in it for a long time, you know, to over 10 years. I just really had an inspiration. I, I, I had this, I had just helped take a company public and had some great success and, and sort of how, saw, saw how the machines worked. Uh, behind the scenes and how you would get something launched and how you would brand it and make it work. So I was sort of primed to do something like that. But a tattoo show was the last thing on my uh, radar when I had the idea. Prior to uh, our tour, no one had really taken tattooing out in earnest. And I had spoken to Paul Gonguer. Irving Azoff had introduced me to him and he basically said we had some tattooing out with Ozfest the year before and it was a pain in the ass wherever we took it and i didn't realize at the time how ambitious it would be to take something like that on the road i was sort of filled with inspiration fortunately because if i really thought it through i would there were about 20 times in there where i would have or should have stopped you know, but I was on a vision quest, so so that's you know that that's really what the book is about is that uh, a vision quest.
0: Did this only go out one year and then yeah. crash and burn miserably? No, it didn't really crash and burn miserably. Like. That's the sad part. You talked to Scott
1: Adelman. It it did business-wise, trust me. Well, I mean, that's... But you talked to him, and he was... It's like so many people. They're super passionate about a lifestyle. They're passionate about a brand. I was the same person. Sure, of course. But maybe I came from that world. I had worked in that world. He came from a little bit of outside that world. But, you you know, I asked him, would this be a guidebook to anyone who wanted to start a music festival?
4: In some ways, it's a little bit of a textbook in trying to get something like this launched. Um, And going through the trial and error, my advice to someone who was going to be launching this, and I don't know if you could even do this now. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if there are enough independent promoters to support something like this. Um, But I think at the time, uh, the, the key thing for me was to treat it like it was something real until it could become something real. From the moment I had the idea, I talked about it as a living, breathing thing. I could close my eyes and I can stand in it. There was nothing that was going to stop me. Um, I have plenty of ideas now that are kind of good ones, I don't act on them because I'm not willing to do what it takes. I'm not willing to go out on the road. I'm not willing to fly to Amsterdam or Vienna or wherever on a moment's notice to meet the person who could get you to the, you know? Um, So that was the thing that I would tell someone if they're getting into this, unless you're in it for real, don't get into the music business. (laughs) <laughs> or, the, or the tattoo business because they're, they're I was naive in a sense and I'm not a naive person. I had worked in the music business before and the trucking business in New York and a courier business on Wall Street, different places, you know? I'd been around the block. But when it came to this, uh, I had to go into it with a certain amount of naivete because of what I was trying to achieve. But then all of a sudden,
1: he kind of latched onto a band that actually, I, I, I love this band. I think they're they've had done some amazing things in life and 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 continue to do that
4: slipknot that was the key you know i made a couple slipknot? of stands yeah. at it. it was a great idea and i was on fire and i knew how to sell it and i just believed that it would happen and i had the tools and some of the money to do it so within a very short period of time i got to meet with irving azoff in la and Lyle Tuttle, who at the time was who passed on a few years ago, was the godfa- grandfather of modern tattooing. So the idea got me in front of people very quickly and maybe too quickly before I knew what I was doing. So I first tried to go right to the top and sort of sell the idea and hit a brick wall. As I should have, because I wasn't in either industry. If it had been an industry that I was involved in, then I would be able to do that. But I realized that. So then I was like, okay, I got to go go to the bands. I got to get the bands and I got to get the money to put the tour on. Because I never said I had the money to secure the bands. I had the money to get the money. You know, I was building something. Um, And I did that with this guy, Jack Utsick, who was an independent promoter in Miami, who's now in prison uh, (laughs) for 18 years for a $200 million Ponzi scheme. But Jack was interested. And then I got Cypress Hill involved. I traveled with them and went out to LA a couple of times and basically got a commitment from them. And that wasn't enough because I thought if I got the money and I got a band, and then I realized I needed an agent. And that's when I met a guy named Paul Zukowski who had done the BB King Blues Festival for 10 years, walked down Abbey Road and disco, you know, oldies shows and the shed shows. Uh, And he's the one who got me to the finish line.
0: You know, he mentioned at the beginning that maybe he had gone to the top too early. And it sounds to me like Slipknot and in the tattoo culture. Those concerts are going on now every week with Slipknot. Like, he came too early to this game, and he lost. Sometimes you are too early to the game. And I've been there too early, maybe in Latin music or something. But he
1: threw out a name named Jack Utzik. Did that ever ring a bell Yeah, to
0: what's, what's going on with Jack? He said
1: Ponzi scheme. What did you the ever fuck's going watch a, 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 a American Greed? Did you ever watch that TV show? No. There's a whole episode on Jack On this Utsuk, guy? What did he but do? Jack Utzik was this kind of rad dude, which was kind of like you'd meet him and it would be like, Jack is kind of rad. He was older, he was dressed nice, like kind of looked like a Jimmy Buffett. just came up from a Jimmy Buffett concert. And he was always with like a young girl, and he was always at all the conferences. <laughs> and he was there, and everyone was like, Jack Utzik. You know Jack Utzik? Everyone knew Jack Utzik. And if you wanted to book a show, like in the most obscure place, Jack Utzik would book it. Where mostly promoters have a territory somewhere where they work. If I needed to fill a day, date in Las Cruces, New Mexico, Jack Utzik would take it. If I needed a date in Des Moines, Iowa, that no one else well, would What would he
0: do? Just throw money he,
1: at it? Oh, he would. But he was also running a huge Ponzi scheme where he was also getting people investing in these shows and floating show to show to show, which we've talked about Ponzi schemes in the business right, before. Right, So one time I went down because uh, someone I needed some financing. So I actually went to Jack Utzik's, Like People talk about this, and I talked to Scott about this. You went down and met Jack, and he lived in a that tower right in Miami Beach, right when you're going out the harbor. There's a giant condo tower. Mm-hmm. He had, like, one floor where his family lived, the second floor where his business was, and the third floor where his girlfriend lived. So <laughs> it, they were all connected, and it was totally rad. So I would go, like, so one time we flew into this guy's place, and, and I always wanted about Jack, you know. That's our problem with our business. We're enamored with shit sometimes. So I flew in to meet with him, and – I looked at all these computers on one side of that room in his office and I go, he's doing something else here. He's not <laughs> he's not a concert promoter. And sure enough, the motherfucker was a fucking like Ponzi scheme like getting people to invest in these concerts, wow. owing their money, and then he bailed the fucking Buenos Aires or somewhere like totally like went out Just like left? Oh yeah, bailed out of the country, like went on the lam. They got him. Oh, they got him. Yeah, they got Jack He's like in jail now. So I do a class at school, Tony, where it's like scammers, shysters, and just dumb business people, and I know all of them. (laughs) So it's like I do this whole thing, and Jack Utzik, man, he had a racket going. So Scott, like, bringing him up, bringing up Jack Utzik in this episode was kind of crazy to me. And then all of a sudden, I'm reading in his book, because I did a pre-read on it, Uh
4: and he's talking about how he went to my old agent. He went to CAA on this deal. Mike Pomeranian. Now, this is the thing. Mike died while we were trying to get this off the ground. He died of a heart attack, like while we were negotiating this. And Jenna Adler was Green Day's agent. So Paul knew Mike from, you know, from doing his oldies shows. Mike didn't represent the music that was, but Mike sat there and he was like, man, I get this. And he took us right into Jenna Adler's office. She was like, Green Day would be perfect for this, and talking about time frames and deal memos. And then what happened is they sat down with your agent and Sharon's agent, and uh, they were like, whoa, 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 hold the horses, which is what they should have done, frankly, because you're talking about two shows that were really kind of in their infancy in the history of Warp Tour. You were in your first couple of years, and Sharon, I think, had just launched maybe her first full-on or second full-on tour. So there was concern, and I think that it was valid. So we just sort of got pushed to the
1: side. I always think it's funny because it's like in the book, it says Kevin Lyman blocked this. I had no fucking idea that he was putting on his own tour. You know, I'm sure it was our agent. You put that is, in
0: the book that you would block, your yeah, agent Block Our Chris. agent
1: Block. which is fine, but I like how, you know, they're never going to, like, being an agent is being like Switzerland. Never fucking take responsibility for, like, blocking something that shouldn't have been done at the moment. And I felt bad now reading the book because I absolutely had no idea he was trying to start this tour. But he was, you know, very honest about his own personal trials during this time.
4: You know, I realized as I was writing the book and really as I was halfway through it and then I addressed it in the prefaces, I realized that I was really, I had gone through the most tumultuous time in the year or two leading up to Tattoo the Earth. I got married. I made a shitload of money. My mother died. My mother-in-law got sick. My godson got... You know what I mean? Just like every stressor you could imagine. Uh, And I was working 15 hours a day taking a company public and all of the stress to that. And the guy who was the owner of the company, who was my best friend, had relapsed. and, And it was just the most insane time. So out of that came Tattoo the Earth. So I was already sort of half bonkers by the time I had the idea and, and ran with it. You know, I, I wasn't all that, um, I don't want to say I wasn't all that stable. I was off balance. I'd been thrown off kilter. I had a lot of shit thrown at me. And I'm one of those people that when that happens, I'll get kind of sideways. And my kind of sideways ended up being tattoo the earth. So obviously, if I tried to do it again with what I know, I wouldn't need to run myself into the ground. I, I was I was just overwhelmed by everything, the stress of it, the you know, and probably feeding off of that, too. Because in my younger days, I was a road manager at a very young age for jazz artists in Europe, you know, when I was 19 or 20. So I was always able to handle those types of situations.
0: Is he still... Back in the business that he took public, or is he is he in the dabbling in music still? You know, I think he's
4: writing it mostly now.
0: And he wrote this book, and I asked him where you could get Caravan of Pain.
4: They can get it on Amazon. They can go on our website, my website, caravanofpain.com, and you can order uh, one directly from me, Barnes and Noble. Uh, the audiobook will be out shortly. It's on ebook. Um, you can really get it anywhere, your local bookstore. We
1: always want to write things down like in the moment. But I asked Scott, so why did it take
4: so long to write this book? Well, I think you'll appreciate my restraint because I didn't want the book to come from a place of bitterness, which if I wrote it 20 years ago, it would have been. But I didn't want it to be that type of, you know, I just wanted to tell the story as honestly and openly as I could and let other people figure it out because there's a lot of animosity from doing this. You did this for years and years and years and every year you're going through it with the same cast of characters. That's what I write about in the book, especially in the music business, is that you have to move past people screwing you because everybody's screwing everybody every day. You, You have to have that thick hide or you're not gonna be able to continue in the business. It's just part of the business. And it's one of those things where it normalizes something that's really, really, truly screwed up.
1: But does it have to be, Tony? That's what I teach my
0: students every day. We don't have to screw people over. I never felt I screwed people over. This transcends beyond just the music industry. In my business, television, feature film, all that, there's the two rules. Don't lie and don't be a dick. That's, you know, really what I'm stressing with my students. You could do good and do good business. Don't be a fucking dick. It's always going to be there, Kevin. But the thing is, is that the longer you're in business and you work with people, I'm telling you, It gets around fast. Word gets around fast. And people know who's who in this industry and in most industries. They
1: always say, hey, join our Patreon. You know what? Fuck that.
0: Donate five bucks a month to a charity
1: right now. Just go straight up, put five bucks a month towards a charity right now. You know, whatever that is, there's so many people in need right now. It's like crazy how many things need. So donate, donate to us. We're fine. We're good. We're good. Take five bucks this month. Donate it to a charity and uh, do something good in the world.
0: Hey, Kevin, did you hear about this new band called The Who? The Who, <laughs> Fuck. I'm so stuck. We're gonna wa- You know fucking what? Fucking band. We're, we're gonna
1: barbecue right now. We're gonna play The Who and That's just have right. a great time in the backyard. Tony. Hey, Rebecca. It's Kevin Lyman. I just want to thank you for subscribing to Patreon.
0: Thank, thank you so much. You. Thank you, Xavier, for being here. <laughs> Guest producer Marcus. Yes. All right, Marcus. And we want to thank Vivian Wang and Beata as well. Thank you so much.
1: Beata, hope uh, you've made it back from the desert. I heard you had a great event out there last week. I know that it's hard to find your way home sometimes.
0: And Diego
1: Arratia. Take
0: Take it 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 away!